Hello and welcome to Unraveled. Unraveled is a podcast series and radio show that is based on deeply researched content that analyze state-wide issues and policies in Africa. Unraveled will amplify youth-led responses amid global emergencies in African countries and help in cross-national learning of emergency response strategies. Unraveled is powered by Generation Democracy of the International Republican Institute. Hi everyone and welcome to Unraveled, the radio show and uh, the podcast series. Of course, um, you know, this episode really uh, amplifies youth-led responses amid global emergencies in African countries and help in national, um, cross-national learning of emergency um, response strategy. Today, we will be talking um, to a Generation Democracy alumni in Nigeria about um, COVID-19, assessing COVID-19 response strategies in Nigeria. And of course, what are the youth-led responses? Um, today, we will be talking to Mr. Timmy Olagunju. He is a lawyer, an author, and a policy consultant. He has received um, several awards for his distinction in leadership development, including the Orni of IFE Global Leadership Award and the Mandela Washington Fellowship. In his passion to add value um, to the polity, he ran for the federal uh, parliament at the age of 33 in the 2019 elections. Uh, but of course, when we fail, we'll fail forward. That's, that's the truth. Uh, in his commitment to leadership development, he created that YM High signature program, Democracy in Action, creating a platform of exchange for young leaders in Oyo State to intern and interact with parliamentarians in the State House. Well, however, um, we need to really dive in into the main segment of the program today. And um, we will be talking about youth-led responses, the management of COVID-19 in Nigeria, talking about the response strategies. And of course, we look at transparency and accountability in terms of um, the denoted funds and um, all, uh, every of those things. So, um, Mr. Timmy, good morning. I know it's morning in Nigeria. Yes, good morning. Good morning. Yes, yeah, it's nice having you around. And it's good being here myself. Okay, thank you so much. Um, in Africa and around the world, COVID-19 uh, a pandemic is no longer a news. Um, on the 14th of February 2020, Africa confirmed its first COVID-19 case. That's in Egypt. And um, that was about uh, the release of WHO. The, the release of WHO. And of course, Nigeria itself um, confirmed the first, first case in 27th of February um, 2020, according to um, NCDC. Looking at all of this, the last uh, brief released by the Africa CDC Disease Control Center uh, talks about some of the fatality rate, which is at 2.4%. The, the confirmed cases in Africa, the total confirmed cases, which is um, over 1 million, one, precisely 1,412,000 um, plus. It is just 5% of all, of all the, 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 the cases confirmed around the world. Uh, which is two percent decrease this particular five percent increase uh cases sorry is two percent decrease in the number of new cases reported when compared to the previous ones 
this statistics basically is showing that there has been a decline in the number of the new cases that have been confirmed recently. If you look at the northern region, southern region, um, eastern region and African and western, it, it looks like the western region in Africa is um, even at the lower hand. In all of this, uh, just on the 1st of October, BBC released that the number of new daily confirmed cases overall has been dropping for about two months in Africa. For the past four weeks, there has been an average of 1.7% fall in the number of weekly new cases being reported. However, in Nigeria, Nigeria is the fifth country with the highest confirmed cases. Now, let me break it down a bit so that we can run with figures and with um, fact and figures. Nigeria confirmed at the Independence Day, October 1st, Nigeria confirmed 153 new cases, making a total number of confirmed cases in Nigeria to be 59,001. Well, the number of active cases is just 7,000 out of 59,000. Uh, 59, that makes it 82.5% of recovery. That is huge. That looks like a success rate. And the number of deaths so far, from the, the percentage of the number of deaths to the number that was um, actually, the number of deaths to the number of confirmed cases is just 1.9%, 1.9. So, looking at it from the context of Africa and also Nigeria, it is obvious that reports are showing that COVID-19 outbreak in Nigeria has passed its peak. What do you think is responsible for this success rate, if we may call it a success? And um, from your own opinion, there are divergent views. Is it true that Africa is making success in this fighting COVID-19? Well, well, frankly speaking, uh, well, we might want to say that, uh, yes, you know, Africa is one of the four countries, you know, and then the home right, and we have sub-Saharan Africa, particularly different from, you know, the northern part of Africa. But the point is, if we take the distinct countries, as it were, mm -hmm. um, I do not particularly um, think that um, um, Southern Africa has been able to uh, particularly get out of the whole frame of you know the COVID thing in terms of progress in a geometric sense compared to the efforts being put in place. Then also, if you look at Nigeria, the challenge of data, which replicates itself across different parts of Africa. That challenge of data in terms of simple things, you know, talk less of complex things like a global national health urgency or pandemic. So this lack of data may not properly help us situate the situation. And that is where the challenge is. So it is difficult to really say, you know, without a proper data framework, that we are making progress or else we would engage in guesswork mm. which is the challenge mm. Mm. okay um thank thank you so much um if you look at it um of, of course um we know every one of us basically know that there is a way data could be a challenge in this part of the world um however we still have to run with the available statistics right um 85.5 percent of the confirmed cases are people that have recovered from this uh, disease this covid 19 uh, disease uh, uh, what do you think is responsible and majorly uh, what are the strategies employed by nigeria government to actually get this particular percentage recovered it's five percent covered you see that's the challenge still it's a challenge of data do you get hmm. 
Because the truth about it is this, sir. Uh, it will be difficult to really say that, you know, it's 5%. Because there are people that confided that the particular they had they had a COVID situation and had to isolate and it came off. You see, the truth about it is that the head approach might or we can only speculate. So the head approach might have happened. A lot of people might have had it and have come out of it and developed immunity. That's why we can also speculate as well. Because the truth about it is if you look at the situation carefully you realize that one, we are a young population, right? Mm, yeah. Whether in Nigeria, whether in Africa, we're a population of a lot of young people, not youth now, young people. Yeah. That means we're looking at, you know, 40, 45 and below, as it were, yeah. or 50, 49, there about and below. Of relatively young people to a large extent, we are the single continent with the largest young population. That is one reality. Second reality is that for some persons in the scientific field, they have a knowledge that the COVID virus was built on the back of the incorporation of, you know, the what's called the malaria virus as it, as it were, right? Mm, yeah, That's the malaria parasite. Some speculation. And you know, in Africa, you know, particularly in Nigeria, there is no child that has not had, whether you were born with golden spoon, silver spoon, or wooden spoon, or no spoon at all. There is no child that has not had their fair share of that. True. Right? True. Growing up. So, the body might have developed increased capacity for resistance than most people would have. Hence why you find that a lot of elderly people with particular situations, complexity, are the ones passing on. Because the ones we hear is because they are politicians, they are there, they are data on their own, so they cannot hide. Mm. But there are many people in places where nobody cares about them. Till now, they are not able to establish the cause of death, particularly in Kanu. We are only speculating it is not a uh, COVID. So what it is, let's place it on something, you know, the cause of massive death at that time in Kano. But if you notice, after the intervention of NCDC, um, you know, the disease control, control board, there was, there was a realization that there seemed to be a, we didn't hear much about those deaths anymore. So in mathematical and statistical sense, right, mm. you start to think in your mind, that okay, if we could not establish the cause of the death, but an intervention came, you know, in the development work, when an intervention comes, and that intervention seems to have solved some significant part of the challenge, then you might want to be tempted to believe that the intervention itself has been productive. So in that context, it might have also been that um, it was something related to COVID, but we're not able to pin it down to it. So these are key challenges that, and then the issue of trust, when it even comes to data, how much can you trust, you know, the data that is being rolled out, as it were. So these are all frameworks of challenges, and hence, the Nigerian people need to be up and doing and careful, meticulous, 
with their own personal responsibility towards their health rather than rely on some data telling us that uh, things are getting better. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, well, uh, thank you. It, it, it seems you're uh, one of those that uh, actually believe that COVID-19 in the country, uh, the data being rolled out could not be as accurate as it's supposed to be. Um, okay. Uh, well, I understand that you also pointed the fact that, that the fact that uh, you pointed out that uh, the young population, uh, the young population in Africa, because we have the larger percentage in Africa, could be responsible for some of those things that we've seen. Uh, that uh, the young persons has developed resistance. If, if, if I'm pointing it out correctly. Yes. Okay. Well, um, also, you know, there have been many of the critics of African um, COVID-19 response strategies. Like you, you said about the, the data aspect, the statistics. Um, there has been so many critics of, um, is, 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 uh, is Africa even um, testing enough? How much testing is done in Africa? Those are the questions oh, that scientists are asking. That's a good point you raised there. Okay. To be able to decipher how much, you know, to what extent? Yes, yes. You, you know, um, South Africa is leading the continent uh, in, in, in terms of per capita um, when it comes to, I'm talking about when it comes to testing now, right? It's leading mm. the continent as of that, as yeah. of July 1st. You know, uh, yeah. Nigeria has only done, uh, uh, as of um, uh, October 1st, yes. Nigeria have only done um, 509,000 um, test uh, right uh, 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 th- this is less than one percent of our population a population of about uh, um, one, 197 or 200 million that is just one percent uh, even less than one percent sorry uh, do you think the lack of covid19 testing undermines africa's success oh yes it does it does on to a large extent um, undermine success uh, one of the things that have made it not to be visible that the lack of testing undermines success is firstly the fact about, you know, the, 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 the data. Because even better on death in Nigeria, how many people can really properly say there's a record for it? Mm. On a daily basis, right? So, um, it undermines in real time that you can say, oh, in real time, hospitals or places of the feedback to a particular center on, you know, not nothing as such in its course sense, right? So we cannot really say what the situation is. But because of, you know, like you said, the, the, the young, well, the youngest uh, population would be with the largest number of young people in the world. And then the malaria, the fact that we, have been used to the malaria as it were and treated it and developed some resistance um, and some immunity as it were as against those who are not exposed at all to it. So that may have helped, may have helped, but truly the lack of testing has undermined the, the, the effort towards progress. And trust me, government should not think it could do it alone. And it's good that the government is partnering private sector now. Mm. But it could have done that earlier, you know, to find a way to partner private sector earlier than have a central body. So that government body could have served more as a um, higher echelon authority for complex matters as well as regulatory body to ensure that standards are met, you know, so that 
you can have, for example, in my in my we have up to two labs. They were all closed down during that period, you know, and you could have utilized them strictly for situations like that, and even utilize mobile mobile approach towards um, towards testing early on, like the like the drive know? and test. Yes, drive yeah, exactly early on. You get. Because India's case was certainly pathetic, but they had to apply that approach, you know, drive and test and all that. And then over time, it started. So, so I do not think in terms of testing, we've done as much as we beat our chest around to have done. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we, we, I think it's a lesson going forward. Mm. Uh, okay, um, <laughs> in, in all of those, um, many few use Nigerian lockdown harder. Is, is not strategic. Some feels that the travel ban is late. Some says we're locked down to um, so early. So uh, let us look at the area of policy response. There has been a lot of mm. policy response to COVID-19. The mm. lockdown mm. order, the travel ban, the overnight curfew, the uh, economic stimulus uh, bill, um, and the um, uh, the uh, disease control bill that was that was. Um, that got to uh, that got a lot of uh, reactions from citizens um, about forceful mm. quarantine and a whole mm. lot. Uh, looking at the CBN stimulus package, there has been a whole lot of them. Uh, how well do you think uh, uh, Nigeria really responded to COVID nineteen policy wise? Oh uh, well, policy wise, let's take the policy. So the policy expectation that um, that that we got from from the government, from the federal government in this context, was the banning of um, travels, mm. you know, international travels in and out. And then to a large extent, it came, but the truth was that it came late. Mm. So the policy itself was a good policy, but it came late. So it's better later than never. Okay. However, if it had come much earlier, analysts have suggested that um, to a large extent, we might have been able to avert the situations that brought in COVID into Nigeria. Mm, that, that was that of the 27th, right? 27th yes. of February. Yes. The Italian man that came in into the country. Yes. Exactly. Yes. You know, so so that, that was um, it. And then secondly, as we fall back to that policy, okay, now we have come late. There should have been an addendum policy. An addendum policy in the context of an active, which is what they are not doing now, but they are telling people to pay, an active center that picks up people immediately. Immediately the Italian man mistake was made and everywhere was, but immediately there should have been at the airport a center that allows for, you know, people that come in to be isolated to an extent or to be, you know, tested to an extent or to have been documented to an extent. Do you get what I'm saying? Very well. So that was not done. It was only a ban. It was consequently now that we now have situations where, you know, so there was a lack of practice policy in that context. Now, the second, if we had done that, we would not have had cause to completely close down, you know, um, activities because you see the truth about it is because of the failure in that it now led into a, re- a remote course active co- a remote course and then um, 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 direct course as you said 
a man meant to be for active shutdown of, of the system, as it were. Look, the shutdown is something that the private sector will find it very hard to recover from, but it became a necessity. So, I would say, you know, when I want to score public policy, the way I score public policy is, I score them, when you look at newspaper, you pick the policies there, because there are a lot of noise, and noise is not policy, mm. right? You know, this is wise policy, this is slow but good policy, and this is bad policy. So, for the travel ban, is a, it came slow, but it's a good policy. But there should have been an addendum policy. For the shutdown, it was a good policy, but it was not properly done in the context of the fact that, you see, the, the ban did not resolve into an active testing phase. Just like a lot of negotiants are heard are complaining that there's a lot of traffic now in Lagos because the roads are bad whereas during the lockdown some engineering firm that are indigenous could have been engaged to do one or two small 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 pockets of work on their the Lagos road right yeah so in that context too I'm saying that you know the lockdown was 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 a good one but it should have had a follow-up policy of active testing partnering with the private sector. It's difficult for the government to do something and do it well, particularly in a country like Nigeria. Why, why, why is that? Why, why is it so difficult? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, in leadership, I discovered that some of the most innovative leaders, despite how innovative you can be as a leader, the, the funnel between the ideation and the results the funnel has in it something called the e-factor, execution, right? Yeah. And execution is done by people, and people run processes and systems. True. And so there's a challenge with the kind of people that execute policies. Particularly, even there's even a problem with the thinking, because you see, in the hierarchy of policy, you have the political leaders who, to a large extent, are the highest level of policymakers in a democracy. Then you have the civil service, which is the executing arm. Now, the head is not properly innovative about policy approach. And then the civil servants still have a militarized approach to work, where people go to work not understanding that the private sector tax is what pays their salary. Hence why they feel that they are the boss, whereas they don't know they are the servants. You know, so that is the challenge. And the entire framework of the country, for instance in the state, is skewed towards serving one person, the government. Whereas it shouldn't be, the system should be skewed towards serving the people. So you can see these are issues of a people challenge in terms of capacity. In Japan, the best of the best are those that go into the civil service. Yeah, the best of the best travel overseas. 
<laughs> All right, um, Mr. Timmy, I think we still go talk about the, the people now. But right before we go to that, um, let's quickly touch the aspect of the economy, right? Um, before the pandemic, the GDP growth um, tampering around um, 2.3%, that is through 2019, late 2019. In 2020, um, IMF, um, International Monetary Fund, revised, uh, revised the GDP growth rate from 2.5% to 2% as a result of uh, the low high price, even before the pandemic. Now, look at what we have, uh, we have seen so far. There has been a, a lot of um, 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 shutdown that affected um, uh, commercial activities. Uh, people are just indoors um, just before the phases, the, uh, the, the ease of, um, of the lockdown uh, in phases. Um, uh, Economic-wise, do you think uh, the government got it right? Economic-wise? I know that's that's a challenge because you see, after the lockdown happened, eh, the government just did it. You know, there was no, and that's the challenge. There's a difference. There are two levels of government. There's government. In fact, three levels. Mm. There's bad government. There is just government, good government, or government. The highest level of government is deep government, mm. and deep government refers to using little resources of time or whatever to achieve maximal results being efficient right yes efficiency that is so what we have sometimes a lot of what we have is bad governance then some are just good governance hence why we celebrate good governance a lot here in this part of the world but in this age we need to graduate to deep governance right mm. and for example you know we see somebody who um for example with the governor or a leader and the person renovates the school buildings and the likes and everybody's happy yes that's good governance but deep governance will then be what is the most important factor in this school the teacher mm. Right? Yeah. So yeah. how can we make the teachers excited enough with the capacity to, to, to pour out themselves to the kids? Right? Yeah. And how can we ensure that their the education process engages their mind, their mind and their hands into productivity? How do we ensure that the education changes the world? And that's the challenge we have. Good governors, they allocate money to, oh, the budgetary allocation to education is now increased by 2%. Fantastic. Good governance is ensuring that our universities are channeled in such a way that they produce thinkers and doers. You get, so these are core differences. And so in terms of economy, there seems to be some level of good governance. But there is no deep governance. Hmm. Good governance is that, oh, yes, so um, the economy, let's try to reduce tax for companies, let's give them some, you know. But deep governance will be asking the question of and doing in such a way that you start to identify what are the key sectors that are being hit the most. How do we galvanize support from the sector, right? Hmm. This governance will start to look at, okay, what is the data of how many Nigerians are losing their jobs at this time, right? How can we 
empower his children to be able to serve other purposes. Um, um yeah very well mr timmy um thank you for those analyses um uh, uh, looking at what you've said it, it looks more like um good governance as you've um, actually um envisaged that, that it, it's it's more of um infrastructural development right so just like building of roads construction of roads building of um, oh, classrooms yeah. and all of you can oh. build infrastructure bro you can build infrastructure and it is not purpose driven Mm. You know, so, so so good governance. You can build a gigantic house, and you only need one bed inside it, and you're the only man in single battle. Mm. So 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 get, yeah, very very yeah. well. So deep deep governance is more of a human development approach. Fantastic. Okay, uh, if, if you look at this, I, I want to actually um, let us let us analyze this in this direction too. Um, however, you, you know, uh, he you you said we are celebrating good governance. Uh, more in this country. Uh, sometimes we have bad governance in Nigeria. Sometimes um, you say we celebrate a bit of good governance. However, um, I want to ask, do you think even at that level of good governance, which is um, infrastructure approach development, uh, infrastructure development, sorry, uh, do you think that the, the, the lack of infrastructure, even in the country, um, it's part of what affected um, the response to COVID-19 or even that is part of the why we lack data? Oh, well, when it comes to um, what's it called, um, the COVID 19 and infrastructure, you know, when you talk of infrastructure, let's break it down. Mm. Is it transportation that was a challenge to to the bodies in charge? Let's assess the medical, the medical sector. Okay, uh, the medical sector, yes. Okay, infrastructure in terms of, you know, medical equipment needed. Um, well, the, the the body in charge of it will be able to tell us that mm. um, to a large extent what the what might have hampered them to a large extent. But uh, trust me, to a large extent, at least if you look at it carefully, right? I do not think if you if one is to rank that is the issue of infrastructure in terms of medical equipment, you know, was a challenge peculiar to Nigeria in this particular situation do you get uh because even in the u.s they have a challenge of not enough ventilators you know not enough hospitals to take in the people so you you, you understand that that, that is not but really exclu- exclusive to just this um this continent yeah, or nigeria yeah, alone yeah okay. yeah okay. yeah it was a global every country had that challenge even those who were you know, like Germany and some other countries were applauded for their fantastic way of handling it. They also had that challenge. But one of the key things that I think helped was the mind. And when I say the mind, I meant they had people with capacity to be able to generate and fabricate those infrastructure quick enough. And in Nigeria, we had a few pockets of young people who were trying to do something. You see somebody, you know, trying to do something around but those guys were not in any way to a large extent. And I know a few of them encouraged. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Good. So, uh, so uh, at, that, at this point, uh, let's quickly look at uh, the youth-led responses to COVID-19 in Nigeria. Um, oh, fantastic. Yes. Uh, you know, young people uh, worldwide are really taking actions um, to prevent, like you said, and uh, to prevent the spread of the virus and mitigate its impact. Uh, a lot of person in ICT, even on, on, on the social media, even a whole lot around the world, you know. Um, what initiatives right, and innovation 
were set up by Nigerians for Nigerians, I mean Nigerian youth now, for Nigerians in response to the pandemic. What Nigerian youths uh, well, in, in terms of proactive steps that Nigerian youths took, well, um, as you as you realize, um, well, most of the people that I know that did something have to go on YouTube, mm. you know, to learn a few things they can do. Um, and interestingly, I learned some two um, young people in University College in Suka or so, you know, decided to go to the University College and say, oh, they are, they seem like the uh, ventilator machine that they had. They had not enough, but they have two that were damaged. And for free, they helped them repair it. And they've been trying to repair it for a while, but they didn't particularly have the expertise to do that. But these two young men volunteered and went to the hospital and did a repair of it and it started working. You see, so that is resource utilization, right? Mm. Now, I know a few persons you know, like many who made ventilators. Um, some persons who, who made who made machine. ventilators? Yes, yes. Oh, yes. In oh, Ni- yes. in Nigeria. Oh, yes, in Nigeria, yes. And I asked him how did he learn it. Yeah. Then the guy who developed them. I don't know if you've heard about it. A a car that looks like a Lamborghini. Mm. He was the one that built it with the um, scrap. Um, that's, that's that's impressive. Yes, and surely enough, this young man is somewhere in Benue State, inside a particular rural, semi semi urban area. Mm. You know, and I know him because we we met at a cafe near Ife's palace. Anyway, um, you know, so he and funny enough, he developed ventilators. Um, he the you know the he developed also washing machines where you use your legs. You know, he started that cleanliness. You know, he started that early on, but the encouragement wasn't there. And what we should have expected would have been done was some funds that were being distributed around should have been set aside for grants to say, oh, now the global community, everybody seems to be focused on themselves. So instead of going to beg the Lomox or beg the US to send in ventilators, why not? support with grants, innovators that can come up with innovative solutions to help us cushion the effect of you get. So that is it. And funny enough, that was not the only person that developed ventilators. There are two other people too that developed low-cost ventilators from by themselves. Right? Mm. And so what I'm trying to say in essence is that uh, the challenge really is not as much as infrastructure, but the mind if we ensure that we invest in our educational system in such a way that the young Nigerian is productive, productive, is able to work with their hands and with their mind to produce stuff, what we have is that we start developing local solutions to our peculiar challenges. And that is the kind of thing that we need. Look, when it comes to the response of a young person, Fantastic. Even as, as a legal person, as a lawyer, you'll be shocked that my own approach to it was even from a legal point of view. You'll be surprised that during the COVID time, a lot of people lost their jobs, young people. Yeah. And so, so I personally started an online legal clinic. Well, online you know? legal clinic? Yeah, clinic, yes. Where if you had a challenge, maybe you lost your job, 
you know, and you feel you've been unduly, you know, you've been unduly sent home. You get because the, the labor, labor is governed by the labor law. So whether there's a pandemic or not, there should be some sense of reasonableness in the cost of, you understand, the whole employment frame. So that is it. Now, second, some people have issues of being um, um, molestations. And they're looking for where to confidentially report that so that it can be channeled appropriately. Mm. Yeah, you know, um, on, yeah. on this issue of molestation, um, um, Kimpak Development Initiative, um, as, as, as during the lockdown, actually um, monitored and monitored and documented cases of gender-based violence across the country. Uh, there is, okay. there is this astro- astronomical increase ah, in the rate of gender-based violence, and that, that it is um, one one hundred and forty-nine percent increase. As compared you to the, the days before lockdown, so um, so so I'm so much interested. Let's let's go into that aspect of of, of, of this conversation. Um, so, yes. what were your experience about that, and what were you able to do? Were you able to actually reserve um, some of those oh, issues? So, so interestingly, most of the issues, you know, when it comes to gender-based stuff, it, you need and it, they may not want to reach out to a male lawyer, mm. right? So what I have mostly was um, people that complain about employment issues. Okay. And as simple as drafting a letter, you know, to the organization to say, look, why don't you have some reasonableness over this matter? You'll be shocked at the response. Mm. You get. Mm. You'll be shocked at the response. So most of the matters were particularly people. Then also. Some sort of advisory there because you see, when people lose their jobs, they start thinking of what next they need to do. Mm, how do they survive? Those ideas they've had in their mind, which they did not have the boldness to do when they were doing their eight to five, right now they'll be forced into it, which is what we have. Someone needs to do a research on forced entrepreneurship on the Nigerian youth. You know, we talk about entrepreneurship, but I think there's also an aspect I, that. I do like research on which is forced entrepreneurship. Mm. A lot of people are forced into entrepreneurship with no industrial, you know, knowledge about the frame of how structures work. Well, Did that be the good side of COVID-19 <laughs> or the positive side of yeah. COVID-19? Oh, yes. So, entrepreneurship. But the challenge is, yes, it may be a good side, but it also may be a waste of time because if this, you see, entrepreneurship that is not properly done, and you discover that in, in the US or in Nigeria, compared to, let's say, um, the UK or Africa stroke Europe, 95% of businesses here that start and more in the next three to five years usually collapse or fail. Yeah, statistics, statistics show that. Of, yes. So that's because of a lack of, of an incubation process, right? A lack of structure, a lack of real industry experience. Look, you can look, trust me, you are better off to, to be an entrepreneur if you've had some structural experience or you've worked in such a way that maybe early on, you know, in the US, for example, kids go work in 10 summer in 10 and then they start understanding how people operate, how the value of money and those things. Most of us here, we don't have the privilege, I call it privilege. To be able to work a summer intern, 
right? Mm. In certain organizations, such that we then know how work works. Mm. So when we are starting a business, we have some understanding of structure that we can build on. Hence why you have a lot of entrepreneurs who are not making any significant contribution to society in terms of job creation, but rather are so proprietors, hustlers, but they say they are entrepreneurs, CEO of a one-man company. So these are key challenges that that we need to deal with. So some of these persons want to start their own stuff, so they need advisory as to how can we you know, engage. Then there's something I am a friend. She's a lecturer in Philadelphia in the US. And but she's not Nigerian. But I met her years ago when she came for a PhD. You know, we became close somewhat. Um, I traveled back in 2005, then when we were in the University of Nevada. Anyways, interestingly, she supported, you know, and we started this there's something I studied firstly, you know, around the need for us to you know, get young people, particularly students, with some level of data. So I call it data scholarship. Mm. Prove to me that you want to learn an online course, right? Mm. Or you're carrying out a simple research and you get some data. Do you get? So in that course, she saw it and decided to buy into it, Dr. Crystal Strong. She decided to buy into it and then, you know, sent in some support to ensure that um, we were able to run it in some way for, you know, the data scholarship where students would show that if they had a research, what is your research, you know, and a lot of people applied and then they get selected, you know, and then they get the data to support them during that time. So these are, you know, little non-direct health-based interventions, but they are pockets of issues. Now, let's come to the government as it were. You realize that it seems that the governance of the country was too focused on the COVID situation that it gave little or no focus to other important issues around the COVID situation, which includes one of the things you mentioned about the astronomical increase in... Um, in, in, in Gender, in, human rights violations. Human rights violations. You see, and those things from the fabrics of the society, which consequently, when COVID leaves, will still remain with us. Okay, um, thank you, thank you so much. Um, that there's been a lot around that. Um, talking about the youth-led responses. Um, well, well, deeply. Let's let's look at this deeply. You've mentioned um, some some young persons that have actually been able to develop even uh, ventilators that some of the developed continent and nations are at short of. You've you've mentioned a whole lot of uh, um, innovations even from yourself that you you, you try to uh, you know be a support structure for those that might be uh, that might be relieved as at the time of the lockdown or COVID nineteen and a whole lot. Um, but deeply, do you think that the innovations from uh, from Nigerian youth? Um, is helpful in the recovery response from COVID-19. Pardon, would you want to repeat the question? Okay, I'm saying that deeply. Do you think that uh, the innovations um, from Nigerian youth is helpful in the recovery response from COVID-19 in Nigeria? Oh, it would have, but it did not. Mm. Um, As much as, okay, um, when you talk of the innovative response, okay, if you talk about the response around the issues that concern COVID-19, yes, 
a lot of the efforts of young people. But I know a lot of young people. But it was during that time they had, you know, some Papua Bay residents were being displaced. And a lot of young people that I know came together and supported an advocacy, you know, supported a lot of, um, you know, came together and gave them, you know, items for survival. A lot of young people came together, youth-led organizations were there, distributing food palliatives to the understaffed communities, children, and all that. You know, so yes. But in terms of the COVID health crisis directly, the efforts of young people, because it's an institutional challenge, and the efforts of young people could not as much have been accentuated as it should have been. I know that a couple of young people donated together and even contributed to the uh, disease, uh, disease control board in Abuja. I know that my friend Sojimoto, uh, uh, Sojimoto, the CEO of Sojimoto, um, um, that for Lagos, you know, and a few other people came together, contributed something, and then donated, you know, in Abuja to the body, you know. So I know that a lot of young people, I know that Toyo uh, Siakerele was very active around, you know, going around Nigeria and distributing some relief material. So young people young people, not youth now, young people took a huge, did a huge part in, you know, in terms of um, their contributions towards where it could have been much more. For example, someone like Benny, who had developed the ventilator, if he had gotten massive support in terms of grants, right, mm. perhaps, you know, we might have been able to come out with our own ventilators that would have even been sold to other African countries or even West African countries for a start at affordable rates. Right, a fight that were used here, you know. So, the level of institutional support from the governance structure to the young people to be to say, Oh, we have identified that you are key players in solving this problem and we want to support you, you know, to solve to be key players was not forthcoming. But the level of support from the young people towards the governance structure was quite enormous. I wish it was a, a vice versa relationship, a relationship where, you know, the level of support was coming from young people in those contexts that we mentioned and more we do not know. And then the support from the governance structure towards young people and innovators to come up with solutions that work, you know, it would have been a fantastic situation altogether. Mm. And so, the so, significant capacity of the young people would have been utilized properly. So, um, you know, I, I was about talking towards the area of the Building Back Better, uh, Build Back Better, you know, uh, the program that was launched by the United Nations. Um, uh, the framework for disaster risk uh, reduction um, and whole lot. Uh, this same particular mantra, the build back and better, uh, is the same that was adopted for this re- uh, COVID-19 um, recovery um, mission by the United Nations. Uh, you know, uh, pa- partnering with the youth, uh, you've actually were talking towards that line and it's, it looks more like the, the, the Nigerian government, the federal government of Nigeria, uh, the, based on what you've said that they're not um, uh, the government is not really partnering with the youth in providing response to COVID-19 mm. Pardon? 
Um, I mean, um, based on some of the things you've said now, uh, it looks more like the the federal government of Nigeria is not partnering with the youth in providing response to COVID-19. Oh, no, there was no, there was, there was no policy direction that showed that the government, as it were, whether federal, let's talk about federal or state, all local governments were, to a large extent, focused on a direction as well policy direction-wise that activated the capacity of young people, you know, mm-hmm. which I, I see like a challenge. I know that a particular body tried to come up with, you know, some of the fundings that they received from private sector, a small fraction of it could have been used to start, you know, youth COVID innovation fund, come out with practical innovation you know, practical prototypes that you think can solve the challenge of youth. And you would see that some incubators, for example, Red Incubator, which is um, Robotics and Artificial Intelligence Nigeria, you know, based in the battle, you'll be surprised that something like that is based in the battle, you know, will have been able to say, oh, let our um, students or trainees come together, let's accept this fund and let's look for maybe how to develop a software that would help us to be able to track COVID cases, you know, and all that as it were. You know, artificial intelligence in the global community played a key role. Also, in some persons develop fantastic apps that helps to trace contact persons that people have had contact with. You mean in, right? I- in Nigeria, right? No, 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 not in Nigeria. Okay. I mean, you know, in the global world. Globally, community. okay, okay. Yes. You know, so why why didn't we activate actively the capacity of our young people in an age of artificial intelligence, you know, in an age of machine learning? We have a lot of ICT hubs in the country, in Lagos, in Abuja. Yes. Now, those ICT hubs would have been activated, that's what I'm saying, through some kind of support from federal, state, local government to say, oh, whilst we are working on different policy agenda, you know, let's also support you guys to incubate young people because the incubators are primarily private sector driven. You're aware of that. Mm, yeah. Right? In yes. fact, funny enough, international organizations, even African development banks were trying to roll out some funding scheme for young people to find innovative solutions to to solving COVID. You're aware of that True. as well. True. In fact, a lot of the grant bodies were even so focused on oh, young people. You know, when, you know, COVID, but Nigerian government, as it were, whether at the state, federal, and local government level, to be clear across the three, three tiers, did not show any particular commitment to form what is fundamental in driving the innovative approach of young people to come out with some solutions. You know, the idea that government seems to think they have the solution alone is a false belief, a sense of egoism in governance. Because the solution can belong to the people. So you need to actively activate it and launch. Imagine the president is saying, look, we have a lot of young people. We believe in the capacity of our young people. They are not lazy Nigerians. And so we are partnering with some incubators to get our funds to young people to develop innovative solutions towards dealing with COVID-19. 
my brother, the level of innovation that will hit us, whether in terms of hardware or software, will be mind-blowing, trust me. All right, all right. Um, you know, at, at this point, we'll just need to um, quickly wrap up this section. But right before we go, we need to really talk about um, the fiscal transparency and accountability as regards uh, COVID-19 relief fund. Um, you know, uh, with billions of naira as intervention fund from both local philanthropies and um, even international community, um, Nigeria still um, source for loan, even in IMF and from other sources, right? Um, um, well, in in all of this, is there any platform uh, where citizens, most especially young people, that are really eager to participate in in, in governance, um, can find um, possibly? Um, how much was donated? I'm talking about in terms of revenue that was generated and ex- expenditure, and even in procurement process. Um, well, I know that uh, uh, follow the money, right? You, you're asking as to which structures have been able to, in terms of accountability, right? Hmm. Yeah, I know that uh, follow the money, for example, um, run by AMSA, is, you know, and his partners and his team is focused around the COVID money and how. The money you know but like i like you mentioned i like that you mentioned not just funding but also the procurement process right mm. which is usually shrouded in mystery as you know that the new slogan now has been covid corruption which a lot of countries have been alleged to embezzle or divert or siphon uh, covid funds for personal gains of a few right mm. so so there's a huge challenge, and I think uh, to a large extent, you see, Nigeria <laughs> is not left out of that accusation. Because there are many times where they say they spend billions, they've shared so, so, so money, and you and I are like, ah, where did the money go to? We do not know, and at least once you know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that was able to collect it based on merit, right? Mm. So that's the challenge, a lack of transparency in the process. And I think rather than we as young people just chat away, you know, on Twitter, we should start channeling our energies to talk about what matters to our life. You see, if we keep to majoring on minor as a population of young active Nigerians, we'll end up becoming minors in our major. Mm, mm, mm. And that's the reality that we need to face. Right now, the conversation should now be dovetailing to how it is our money. How much have you spent on doing words? What? You know, show us particular metrics. You know, let's map how the policy has been executed in terms of programs and the impact as it were. You know, and that really is the work of the parliament. It's not just approving loans, approving loans. The Nigerian parliament, I've said it several times, should have a policy analytics department that uses data science and some level of data to be able to map progress. Because one of the key duties of the parliament is oversight function. Not just lawmaking, oversight function. And interestingly, constituency allowance implementation function is not a constitutional role of it, but they do it with so much joy. So why not do their constitutional role of oversight in the 21st century in 
do some kind of transparency accountability. So when they are going to that particular ministry or department or agency of government, they are going there with facts and figures, with some level of advanced analytics, data, based on policy analytics of the data, mapped to be able to give Nigerians a better representation through oversight. You know, so these are key challenges as it were. All so right. there should be pressure towards the National Assembly as the houses of assembly, you know, as the policy to do their duties and do it well in terms of accountability for the executive on COVID funds and procurement. All right. Thank you so so much, um, Mr. Timmy Olagunju. Um in all of this, um I just want you to give your closing statement most especially what is your advice to the young people that have been trying to actually um, uh, support uh, in this COVID-19 uh, fight fight against COVID-19 and of course uh, from the anger of the government um, what what is your closing statement to the government and to the young person oh well my my you know my my own take in the whole frame for the young people are more particularly concerned because we are not the future leaders anymore as we've been Talented. We are the leaders of now, and we need to get that into our heads and understand that um, uh, blessed are the Nigerian youths, for they shall inherit the national debt and liability. <laughs> Hence, why the Nigerian youth needs to be double prepared and take life seriously, take this governance policy thing seriously, because there's no other place like home that's the first step. Second point for the government, <laughs> you know, there are different levels to it. Firstly, for the executive, you know, we need to go beyond this um, hero worshipping approach to governance for the executive. Look, you know, I do not see any reason why at this time, why must we always be boring, boring? When, like, people will be right in stated, we can reduce the cost of governance significantly. And that is deep governance in order to cushion the effect, right, of the things. You are giving people multiple tax stress, private sector trying to cope multiple tax stress. You are borrowing, borrowing, borrowing for the youth and your born children to pay, you know. And whilst they're paying their costing, those who had borrowed and spent the money, you know, basically and their generation. So the point is the fact that we need to look inwards at the governance level. And the government, whether at the parliament, the executive, should start considering pay costs massively. We need to reduce the cost of governance and particularly we need a more restructured com- co- country where people are closer. The government is particularly more accountable to the people rather than pointing fingers at the federal government, you know, or the state government carrying bullying hands to the federal government begging for stipends when it can make the best use of its resources. All right, thank you so much, and um, it's nice having you from some of these analyses, policies, view, and um, you know deliberation as regards um, response um, to COVID nineteen in the country Nigeria. Thank you so much, thank Mr. Timmy. Thank you so You're much. You're well. <laughs> thank you. All right, um, to everybody out there, it's um, that's what we have for you today, and um, for the next time, um, we will be talking 
also to another uh, uh, policy analyst and also uh, a young persons that have also uh, been leading uh, from the front in this fight against COVID-19. All right, until then, um, I'm joined.